from the NFL. We know the Browns have talent, but I'm not sold on this rookie head coach. To the NBA. Kawhi Leonard has added his name as one of the best players in basketball. Across the landscape of college football. The Pac-12 got how many teams in the top 25? And so much more. Boxing needs a Dana White. It has too many chefs in the kitchen. The stories you want. The Zeke Elliott holdout could be coming to a close. The opinions you need. LeBron is coming back with revenge on his mind. The king is back. It's Jay Wise. I keep telling y'all my last name is no joke. And Nathan Drinkard. If they don't win this game, it's a wrap. Stick a fork in them. They're done. This is a drink of wisdom. Welcome to a drink of wisdom with Jay Wise and Nathan Drinkard. I'm your host, Cody Ward. Thanks for spending some of your time with us tonight. As a reminder to all our listeners, besides being on all your favorite podcast platforms, A Drink of Wisdom is also on YouTube with Seat So segment available. Head on over. If you like what you hear, we would appreciate your subscription. What's going on, guys? What's going on, y'all? Happy Hello. Friday. Hello. We got the beard. We got the drink. And the wisdom is here as well. Let's do it. Let's talk some sports, baby. Mm, got to soak it in for a second. In episode 64, we talk NBA dynasties and conclude our NFL draft preview coverage with the AFC and NFC West divisions. But first, ESPN is delivering a boon to sports fans across the world Saturday, or Sunday rather. The 10-part Michael Jordan documentary, originally slated for release in June, will premiere with episodes 1 and 2 on Sunday, April 19th at 9 p.m. Eastern on ESPN, as well as several other streaming services with live TV. The Last Dance mostly focuses on the 1997-1998 season, where the Bulls completed their second three-peat in seven years, but will also focus on the other title runs and Jordan's overall career. It's kind of an unprecedented look at the career of whom many consider the greatest player of all time and the six titles he won along the way. So, Drink, what are you most looking forward to in this documentary? Well, you know, first of all, let me say thank you, Michael Jordan. Thank you, ESPN. Thank you for whoever thought about making this a, you know, thank you for the rest of the Chicago Bulls. That dynasty um, that's going to stretch this out for 10 episodes. Um, I want to thank all of them because it's about time that we get the document, the real deal document, not none of those back room joints, but a real deal document from ESPN, 30 for 30 style, on what most will recall as the GOAT in the NBA. It's been, we've, it's been too long. We've been waiting on this. It's been too long. I don't know why, why MJ been waiting so long to give us the goods, because that's what they've been waiting on. He finally decided to give us the goods, and because of the coronavirus, they moved it up from June to April, because it was supposed to originally be shown in June. I'm so happy to see this. I'm so excited to see this. Um, I have heard other players on record saying this will put Michael Jordan back up as the clear, uncut GOAT. No no discussion, no maybe LeBron, no maybe Kobe. I don't know. We'll see. I do think what it will do is for the younger players that don't quite remember Jordan playing days, all they do is hear about it where they'll be able to see this documentary and be able to put some visual with the audio now. I do think that. Um, I'm just, personally, what, I'm, what I want to see the most is, listen, I can't wait till they get into this whole I know they're going to talk about this Michael Jordan and Steve Kerr thing. I can't wait to see this part. I, I want to see exactly how they paint that picture. I want to see that. But, you know, 
listen, this is a documentary that that is well overdue. We should have been got this. We're just not getting it. It is what it is. Coming at a perfect time, though, I guess, because when you think about it, what the hell else are we watching? So, hey, bring it on. You know what? Matter of fact, we're going to criticize it because it's coming on, I think, once a week or something. Or once, like twice a week, something along that line. So we want to know why we can't get it three times a week. But it is what it is. ESPN going to milk that money until they get it dry. So I ain't mad at them. It's a good business tactic. So let's do it. But I know, I, I know Michael Jordan said before this came out, he, he threw out a caveat to either today or yesterday saying that he's a little afraid of what this documentary going to uncover. It's going to show, you know, the not so pleasant side of that dynasty of his time now. But at the end of the day, Hey, if you watch this documentary and didn't know Michael Jordan did some negative thing, hey, go crawl back under that rock or go back, get back in that baby crib. Because most people that knew Michael Jordan knew he was a fierce competitor. He liked to gamble. He stayed out all night. He was just blessed with the ability to not take it as serious as everybody else and still come out on top. It is what it is. So if you see, if you watch this documentary and say, oh my God, I didn't know he wasn't. I can't believe he did that to Steve Kerr. I can't believe he did. Listen. Yeah, you knock it off. He ain't LeBron James outside the court. This guy, this same guy that retired a few times, played golf and everything else. So answer your question, man. I'm just happy to get this this documentary going. I'm happy to see this side. I'm uh it's gonna remind me of a lot of things that I might have forgot during that time. So I can't wait to see that. And I do think when it's all said and done by by episode 10. That that conversation between Jordan, LeBron, uh, the the select others, Kobe, Magic Johnson, the select others that's in that conversation has been the goat. I think the conversation would get a little more interesting. I think we would have a lot to say about that, and it probably help out our show once it's all said and done, and we still got the coronavirus hanging around, because it's gonna be a lot to be said about the the goat conversation as far as in the NBA. So. I'm just excited to see all, all 10 episodes, man. I can't wait. And I want to salute ESPN and Michael Jordan for finally getting this done. Yeah, first of all, it's uh, it's content. It's something sports-related that we can you know, soak up during these difficult times. Uh, perhaps that's what, what, what MJ was waiting for, uh, the coronavirus. Oh, hey, nothing going on? I got all the attention <laughs> right now. Uh, also, uh, shout out ESPN and the Bulls. Uh, how about all the uh, media members that, uh, you know, they pulled all these bits and pieces of information from? Yeah. I think we got to also remember that. Um, I want to say I read something ESPN pulled from like, you know, uh, they spoke to 100 different people uh, to, you know, pull all this together. So it was definitely quite an undertaking. Definitely excited to see how it turns out, how it looks. Um, and just, uh, I mean, it's been 22 years since Michael Jordan won his last title. And. I know for myself, I mean, I was alive during this period, but I don't really have, you know, vivid memories of how he played for the Bulls. My only real memories of Jordan, I remember his couple seasons with the Wizards uh, briefly. But so this will definitely be something I look forward to, you know, to look at, you know, how he played, uh, what those, you know, those locker rooms were like. And that, that this is something like it's supposed to be high access and that's one of the things we look at as fans, like give us more. What was those, you know, conversations between teammates really like? What 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 were those practices about? 
you know, the co- between relationship between coach and player. You mentioned Michael Jordan, Steve Kerr. Um, one of the things I remember about uh, Kobe Bryant, there was a conversation Stephen A. Smith revealed uh, in, in route to his last championship after they lost game five to the Boston Celtics was they were down 3-2. They were heading back to L.A. and Kobe's just, you know, fuming. He's just, you know, P.O.'d. And but Lamar Odom is on the plane is like just all chill like hey, it's gonna be fine man we're going back to L.A. it's gonna be good you know di- different things like that these are the types of things I'm thinking about and the the point you make about the goat conversation I think that's a valid one you talk about uh, a lot of the, the players that come in you know that they weren't even a, they didn't see Michael Jordan play at all so you gotta you gotta think that as time goes along and the more as long as LeBron stays around, it's just natural that he's going to pick up more and more steam, especially among the younger population. But with this, something we can view at right now, it can give us a greater appreciation uh, for Michael Jordan. And I think you talk about, you know, how he's concerned that how it may make him look some of the, the, cause I'm that, that let's be honest. There's a price. There's a price to pay um, to win at that level, to have that type of competitive competitiveness we're gonna we're gonna see that but i mean everything comes with a price and the more you want something the more you work at it and the more time you spend in that it's gonna take time away uh uh, from other aspects uh, of your life so there's good and bad with everything but uh i think the more uh, as a fan the more access you get i think the better and uh i'm not gonna have any complaints based on that yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. Um, I think one of the more interesting things when we look at it, like a dynasty like his or just when we talk about the GOAT conversation, it always kind of feels like, you know, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but it's more like narratives. Like w- when people talk about it, they, it's either like when you talk about Jordan, right? It's either the narrative is he was the best thing ever at walked. He never lost a game. You know, if he fell, he meant to fall. Like it was just like everything is just walks on water. And then there's the other side of it that's, oh, man, he suited up against janitors and mechanics and his tax account was on the other side of the court from him. And he didn't win anything without Pippen. And and like you always think, well, like surely the, the, the truth is somewhere in the middle. Right. And in Jordan's case, it feels much closer to the walking on water side of things. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm you know 28 and I never got to really appreciate his time with the Bulls. I wasn't really a basketball fan until about middle to high school. So didn't really get a chance to ever appreciate this dynasty. So when I always hear like the LeBron Jordan debate, I always only ever had one side of that, but I always remember, well, yeah, I never got to see it in my own eyes. So seeing, having something like this to remind like people my age and even younger, like, Hey, this is, this is the dude we're talking about. This isn't just, this is outside of five minutes on Colin Cowherd's show or some crap like that. Like this is the real deal that you're going to get to see here in an access and in a way that no one's probably ever seen before you know they, they said for this uh, this documentary the access that the media was granted and the cameras are granted was something that they they purposely did but it's something they never up until that point had done before so that kind of inside look at what made this team tick and how you win three titles and then you take a year off just to do it and then you come back and win three more like it's nothing that's i can't imagine any team in this day and age doing that right so um, I, I am really looking forward to this. I'm really glad that ESPN made the, a very good decision to take what they had and move it up. So we have some, you know, filler, you know, in this time where there's just not nothing really going on. So yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to it for uh, more reasons than one. 
All right, fellas, let's go ahead and follow up on our last topic. Jordan's Bulls are widely regarded as the greatest NBA dynasty. Six titles in six years. With a year off, just let someone else have fun. But since, we've seen a few other teams put together some spectacular runs of their own. You have Coach Pop Spurs, Kobe's Laker teams, the, quote, super team in Miami, and, of course, the more recently, the Warriors streak of dominance. So, Jay, after the last dance, which NBA dynasty is the most impressive to you? A lot of, lot of good choices here. Um, you think about how many teams have won multiple titles uh, since the Bulls won their last title. You got the you got the Lakers three-peated once. Then they, Kobe had his two titles without Shaq. Uh, the Miami Heat had their stretch where they went to four straight NBA, NBA finals and won two in a row. And, of course, the Warriors recently, that's a that's an easy one to look to. Uh, I, th- I think it's e- I think it's real easy to overlook uh, the San Antonio Spurs and uh, their their consistency, uh, their consistent greatness over the past uh, from their first title up until you know the past couple of years when they've slowly been on a little bit of a decline uh, since the arrival since the departure of Kawhi Leonard. Uh, but from from 1997 98, uh, these guys won. 50 at least 50 games uh every season for 20 years and then you add on uh, the five nba titles that they won over a 15-year stretch uh i I get it they didn't win they never won back to back but they did have a stretch where they won three or five and just you think about it from the first championship they won uh that was more centered on the big fellas tim duncan and uh tim duncan and david robinson the twin towers and then the david robinson you know, he retired and then their next three titles, it was a little big three centric with Tony Parker, uh, Manu Ginobili and Tim Duncan. And then that last title, you know, you still had Duncan, but he was in the last few years of his career. And the same can be said of Tony Parker and Ginobili. And you had a young Kawhi Leonard who was showing you what he could do uh, and had and had and at the time had not fully developed into the player he is today, but still put up a well of an uh, NBA finals performance. Oh, several years ago. So I'm just looking at it to sustain that excellence for so long and be that consistent. Also, only out of those uh, those 20 seasons where they won uh, at least 50 games, uh, only four times did they not make it out of the first round. So not only are you consistent in making it to the playoffs, uh, you're, you're having extended runs uh, more often than not. Uh, I, I find that remarkably impressive. And also think about this. When you talk about those other dynasties, you talk about Shaq and Kobe, you talk about LeBron and Dwayne Wade, you talk about Kevin Durant and Steph Curry. You think about all those teams and the talent that those teams possess. And from a talent perspective, it just doesn't seem like the Spurs would measure up. You know, you think about Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, Mono Ginobili. I mean, they they made it work, but they were never really all that flashy. You know, Tim Duncan, the big fundamental uh, Ginobili was a, a whale of a good time to watch, and Tony Parker, you know his his speed and ability to you know some always contort himself in the paint was a a great thing to watch. But they they were never a real sexy team, you know they never you, you really didn't see a whole lot of highlight real plays, you know. But it was it was all about the fundamentals, it was all about playing team basketball. And you think about how they adapted with time, early on for many years, you know half-court basketball, playing real solid defense. And then as time went along and as the game changed, the Spurs changed with the game. 
in their last title, they became, you know, one of the better three-point shooting teams in the league with, you know, the likes of Danny Green and, you know, Patty Mills, those guys. So it's, I take all those things in consideration. And although I would I would probably say out of all those uh, dynasties and back-to-backs I'm talking about, I would consider the Spurs like the lesser talented group that the, that fact makes their success more impressive to me. Well, <clears throat> yeah, the, the Spurs is definitely a, a good choice. I can't, you know, argue with the with the fact that he laid it out. But here's the deal. When I think about dynasties, I always think about at what was the period of time. And listen, you can, you cannot point at another period of time in the NBA and tell me that they were more talented then than they are now. The Golden State Warriors, which they're, they're a reigning dynasty because they're still going. Listen, they're playing better talent now than the Spurs played during their dynasty. Then the Bulls played during their dynasty. Then the Lakers played during their dynasty. Whatever dynasty you can give me, the 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 alpha the athleticism that you have to deal with in today's game is far more greater, and this is opinion, far more greater now than it was back in the day. And listen, this Golden State team changed the way we look at basketball. It's got kind of kind of like what the Bulls did in the nineties. They changed the way the game was played. This is what Golden State did. They changed the way the game was played. Before Golden State came along, before this team came along, you had a lot of teams that were still built inside out. You can run your offense through the center, no problem. Your your best player can be a power forward. You had no problem. You still could win that way. We've seen it with the, the, the Kobe, Shaq version of the Lakers dynasty. Yo, Shaq was the man. He dominated the NBA. Try that now. See how that work out for you. You now you you're playing in the NBA where you have to be able to shoot. Why is that a big deal now? Because one Steph Curry, believe it or not, I know it was shooters before Steph Curry. I got that, but it's never been a shooter on the level of Steph Curry. Then all of a sudden he get drafted around the same time with his, with his splash brother Clay Thompson. I mean, my God, like these two dudes were so good that every other team, all 29 other NBA teams said, listen, we got to go get some guys that shoot. Matter of fact, if our center can't shoot, get him out of here too. We need a center that can shoot as well. Like, and like hey, hey, man, what do you mean? When, since when do the five got to shoot? Now, do you not see them boys over there? Do you not see what they're doing? They throw Iguodala in there at the five, and it's, it's over. Like, he starts shooting threes and or maybe play with Draymond at the five, you know. So, listen, I have to, I have to go with Golden State. Is it recent biases? Yeah, you can say that. But at the end of the day, if you just go out of, off of the dynasties that no crap just changed the way you look at the NBA, Golden State is right up there at the top. I mean, tell me the last time you looked at a basketball game and didn't worry about how many three pointers was taken, make or miss, like. That's what you're looking at now. That's what you're looking for. That's why players like Trey Young exist now. Hey, I might, my team might suck. I might not be able to give you anything else, but I'm going to give you assists and I'm going to shoot it from my car. That's what it is. And now he's a, a second year all NBA player, presumably, once those teams come out, I'm pretty sure he's going to be somewhere in there, first time all star, because that's what it is about. And listen, this is the reigning dynasty, meaning. Yes, they lost last year, but they was in it. I mean, this, 
listen, they won three three of the last five. The other two that they lost, they had just as much of a chance to win it as the other team that they played. We know this year was a down year. They wasn't going to make the playoffs. We seen that coming. But don't we think they're going to be there again next year and a year after and for the foreseeable future if these guys stay healthy? So things are still rolling. They need, what, one more piece? They got Andrew Wiggins to, to kind of glue up a little more stuff, and they get one more piece. They get a five or something that can actually, you know, come to the party when it comes to shooting mid-ranger and threes. We'll see them again in the near future. So, yeah, I went with the Golden State Warriors from 2014 to present. That's a yeah. That's a great that's a great point, especially if you take into consideration their their dynasty may not exactly be over. Yeah, yeah. Don't forget they also get a lottery pick this year. So, yeah, have fun with that. Uh, yeah, I was close to picking Golden State as well. When I when I thought about this, I, really the Spurs and, and the Warriors are the two teams that most came to mind to me. Uh, the Warriors, like you said, drink they got a lot of stuff going for them. I like that. Not only the way they way they built their team was impressive. You know, it was built through the draft. They found these guys, some guys that were were great talents, but a lot of teams had already passed on them. None of these guys were first overall picks. I mean, Curry wasn't a first overall pick. Clay wasn't a first overall pick, and yet the team said, no, 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 we see something in these guys. They put together this roster. They had a 73 win season, uh, right? Like y'all said, three of the last four you know championships recently. But the two things that I think just kind of pushed them down for me one is the fact that lebron went in there and beat him lebron took a cavaliers team and went in there and they beat that 73 win team i will as long as i live i'll never forget that i mean as long as i live and the addition of kevin durant man it just added it feels like there's some kind of little asterisk next to it you know they had that weird loophole with the contracts where you know they had enough money to just throw them on there for a year or two and I would always wanted to see if they would have been as successful, if they would have won those two chips without him. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. I mean, we'll never know. It's a great debate. It's a great food for thought thing, but you'll never know. But it just felt like with Kevin Durant on that roster, a roster that already won 73 games, it just, I don't know, man. It, it feels like a little bit of an asterisk. But again, that, that horse has been beaten to death. I don't want to go too far down that road. But I, I do agree. If they are able to come back this next year, retool, revamp after a down year and win some more, it's going to be really hard to not look at this run if you if you consider the next two or three years and go, man, was that not the most dominating team for the stretch of time they played? It would be hard to think of another team. But yeah, I, I do lean with Jay here just because of man, the excellence that the Spurs, really the Spurs have been doing this since the late 80s. I mean, this isn't just like the late to mid 90s. The only year that missed the playoffs was 96 and that got him Greg Popovich and that got him Tim Duncan. So did they even lose that year? I mean, I don't know. Depends how you want to call it. But, um, you know, yeah, you had this, the 03, 05, 07. You had Kawhi in 14. And you have to think about it from the, this perspective of the league's not built for this. You're, you're, the leagues are built in the age of lottery drafts and salary caps. Teams are simply not supposed to sustain this for this long. It's supposed to be you get your guy, you go on a nice run, you put a few pieces around him, then it all falls apart, you restart. They haven't done that. And that requires you finding all the right players, making all the right moves. It's a chess game that goes so far beyond just the, the, the things on the surface. You know, all your role players have to be excellent. You have to have the right contract management. You have to keep these people happy. You know, they're, they're very Patriots-esque in how their locker room is run and how they don't have off-the-field issues. They don't have players beefing. I mean, we ever see Duncan and Parker getting into it with each other? Like, no, we never saw that. They were just one big happy family, you know? So that, to me, is almost as impressive as just, oh, I hit on a few draft picks, and now our team's really good for a while. To, but to keep that excellence running 20, 30-plus years, to me, that is 
that is beyond impressive. So sure. I, I do lean with the Spurs, but man, the Warriors do have a chance, in my opinion, to change that over the next two or three years if they get back to it. Wait, wait. So I just want to make sure I heard you right. So you said hitting on because they hit on draft picks. It is the the Spurs is more, but wasn't Tim Duncan a draft pick? No, no, he was. But I I, I guess I mean like your. I mean, like your Kobe Bryant's and your Chris, I, I guess, you know, it's like what Jay was talking about. When we talk about Duncan, uh, he gets viewed a little different. Like he was never, I never feel like he was like that true superstar. He wasn't, I guess the flash wasn't there, but it was more the fundamentals and always doing the right thing and making the right play. So I, I just mean like the, in the terms of, oh, we hit this absolute otherworldly talent and now we're going to win a couple championships, and then it all kind of falls apart. That, I, I mean, it's more they were more sustained well, in their he, success. What, did he go number one overall? He he did. And to that point, he went number one overall. And Tim Duncan was a superstar. Let's let's uh, let's get that yeah, uh, point. Let's get that yeah. point addressed. But when you talk about superstars, and you you can I don't know if you may go all the way through NBA history at least at least in the past twenty years. There may not be a there may there probably isn't a less interesting superstar than Tim Duncan. Think about the way he played the game. Think about his personality. Think about even his facial expression. It never changed on the basketball court. And like maybe that's where Kawhi got it from. It it could be, but (laughs) in that sense, it just it just makes them and it makes them a little less interesting as a team. I'm giving that and and to that to their to their overall talent. I don't think they measure up against the Golden State Warriors or the Heat or either of the Laker uh, dynasties, the Kobe's back-to-back titles and Kobe and Shaq's back-to-back titles, or their three straight titles, rather. But, but it, it, look, it's a great conversation. It's just, it's just how we look at it. We look at it a little bit differently. You're with the Warriors. And, to, and back to the Warriors real quick because I don't want to undersell them. And from a talent perspective, when they got Kevin Durant, that that turned into I don't think the NBA has ever seen a greater collection of talent. But to me, that's also that's also a strike against them, because once they got KD, it became uninteresting to me. It felt watered down. It felt too easy. It felt like the regular season. There was no need to even watch. There was those seasons where I didn't even feel like it was even worth watching consistently until the Western Conference Finals when they got up against the Houston Rockets because it felt like almost that they were playing in a league of their own. That's an argument for them, but it, you can also phrase it against them a little bit too. It just depends on how you look at it. Well, yeah, because that's what I was going to say. Well, like it's like you're moving the goalpost because Cody said that, all right, well, I'm going to knock them for you know, going 73-9 and nine and losing to LeBron in the finals. And let's be honest here, LeBron, Kyrie, Kevin Love, that ain't no, you know, that's not roadkill, you know what I mean? But then to say, I'm also going to knock them because they assembled a team so good to make it to the finals. So I, I feel like, like I said, I'm more, I'm more for the most talent that's on there, the most talent you beat. That's why I don't have a problem with the Spurs because – like you said, the, the Spurs' reign was so long, they beat 10 of the teams. Like, I can't take nothing away from those teams they beat in the finals. Those were good teams. I'm just saying, now in this day, you play more. they bigger. They're faster. They're more athletic. You have to deal with more. That Everybody can shoot now, even the GM. So that's why, like, I just find it kind of unfair to 
say, all right, well, we're going to ding them for getting Kevin Durant. We're going to ding them for losing. What, do anybody else get dinged for losing? Yeah, well, Spurs lost plenty of times. And yeah. it was sometimes they were the best defensive team in the NBA. Why did they lose? Yeah, and that's, and that's the right point. And I – I don't hold I don't hold the uh, that three one series lead I don't hold it against them all that much I mean I mean you also got to give credit to LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers they made it happen I would just say that collection of talent that they had it's almost like how could you ever lose like you were so great but let's be real there's also it's it's a fine line it's we're we're splitting hairs right here but they're also think about this they're also Maybe Draymond Green, if he keeps his head, doesn't get suspended. And then a couple of injuries uh, a couple of years ago, they're really, really close to having five straight titles. And then there's no doubt about it. Greatest dynasty we've ever, ever seen. Yeah, I guess my point, my last point on that one was not so much that they lost to the Cavs. Again, it was the, the manner of the 3-1 lead that they blew. That was the year they won 73 games. They broke the NBA record. I think that was also Curry's unanimous MVP year, wasn't it? It just felt like it was such a letdown for them to lose, you know, in, in the manner in which they did. And then to follow that up with going out and adding the second best player on planet Earth to their roster, it was just like like really are, are we really doing this like okay but but and what i tell and my point about tim duncan i think what i'm trying to get at is if you extracted tim duncan from the spurs they would still have been an excellent team that would have made a lot of playoffs i don't know if they would have won all those titles they would have still probably made the playoffs if you extract like kobe from some of those teams or lebron from some of those teams they probably were we would maybe hit harder than if the Spurs did. And it's not really to marginalize Duncan. I just I feel like he was a different kind of star, superstar, than we've seen. And maybe it just it wasn't like he didn't feel like the team was so completely built around him. It just felt like the teams were just built a little different than, in that regard. So maybe that was kind of where I was going with that. But but yeah, y'all y'all are both right. We're we're really close in these teams. You could really go either way. It depends what you value. And, and Drink's absolutely right that doing what Golden State's doing right now in this day and age is is very impressive in in its own right. All right, fellas, let's go ahead and wrap up our NFL draft previews. Today we got the AFC and the NFC West divisions on the docket with the AFC up first. The Chargers start us off picking sixth and eyeing a quarterback. The Raiders hold two first-round picks at 12 and 19, with Denver picking between them at 15. And the Super Bowl champ Chiefs are last of at 32. So, Drink, our new-look Chargers hold the sixth pick. Is it a quarterback, or are we in for a surprise? First of all, before we get into this, i got to say something. Hey, Chargers, what the hell are y'all doing? How do you let Tom Brady go down to Tampa Bay? Yeah, that's right. I said it. Tampa Bay. How do you let the Bucks just come and take them from? Do you understand the, the situation you could have been? You could have had Tom Brady for a year or two. Drafted to him. All right. I just don't know what y'all are doing. You could, have, you could have put your franchise back on the map with this one. Instead... You're going to go share a, a new stadium with the Rams and be less important unless Cam Newton come there. Telling you right now, Tyrod Taylor ain't it. That ain't it. You better – I hope you got a plan to draft tool or something. I don't know. But all right, now to the actual subject at hand. <laughs> with the Chargers, evidently the first position, I just talked about it, is quarterback. I think um, – listen – Tua, Justin Herbert. It's simple as that. One of these two dudes need to be signed with their first pick. They go somewhere else, God bless them. Just, just bless them because it's going to be a rough one. 
Um, and then the next position I went was outside tackle. I went with uh, Prince Tega Wenmego out of Auburn. Sorry, I butchered that last name, but just know his first and middle name is Prince Tega. Um, outside tackle for Auburn. And then I went inside linebacker for the third position with Jacob Phillips out of LSU, the, the lesser-known uh, middle linebacker coming out of S uh, LSU. So, yeah, my three positions was quarterback, offensive tackle, and inside linebacker for the Chargers. Yeah, to his initial point, uh, the uh, the clearest uh Fake news story that I've heard in a long time is Anthony Lynn saying, "Yeah, yeah, we're going, we're moving forward with Tyrod Taylor." Uh, no, you're not, because Tyrod Taylor isn't stepping on the field with Patrick Mahomes and uh, going step for step with him. So, not that many people are, but uh, Tyrod Taylor ain't getting it done for you. So, yeah, it's it's about the quarterback. Uh, Tua would be my first pick, but if you can't get him, uh, Justin Herbert. We we can't forget this. If he came out uh, in the 2018 draft, or excuse me, the 2019 draft last year. He was uh, presu- he was presumably going to be the number one pick, so I don't think that's yeah. something we should sneeze at. But even so, if you don't get to and you don't want Herbert, there are other quarterbacks that we look at that you can take a look at down the line, whether it's a Jordan Love, a Jake Fromm, uh, Jacob Eason, all those names come to mind. But quarterback is definitely something they need to address because they don't have the quarterback on the roster right now. And I, I think running back's another position that they got to take a serious look at. Uh, Melvin Gordon leaving town. Uh, they might have not thought it's a big deal, but uh, they're going to find out when uh, Austin Eckler is uh, having some struggles running between the tackles. Uh, not to take anything away from Eckler. He's a real good player. He's an excellent receiver. Uh, but when I think about a guy who's churning out those tough yards and finishing drives for me, uh, I'm not going to think of Austin Eckler. Uh, I'm looking at Jonathan Taylor. I don't know if you can get him uh, in the in that second round. I don't know if he'll slip. Uh, but if you can't get him, uh, I think Zach Moss would be a great compliment. Uh, to what they have in Eckler, the young man out of Utah, and I think I, I, th- I like this defense. I really do. They got great ed- they got great edge rushers. Uh, Linval Joseph he makes them stronger in the middle, and uh, I like the secondary. I really do. I think they could use a little more juice at linebacker. Uh, like Drink said, uh, I- I'm looking at Jordan Brooks, a Troy Dye, a couple guys I've referenced before, but a uh, quarterback, running back, and linebacker. That's where I'm at. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. You know, I think quarterback is really interesting. Um, if I ran the Chargers, I'd already had Cam Newton or Jameis Winston in town, and then I'd work on maybe offensive tackle or, or hoping someone like Isaiah Simmons falls to me. I mean, imagine Simmons running around with Derwin James back there. That'd be an absolute circus and good luck. Um, on, on a defense already, oh, by the way, with Joey Bosa, Chris Harris, et cetera. But, um, you know, the, the quarterback position is the one position that you could reach if you had to. Let's say Tua and Herbert are both gone. Let's say maybe Detroit trades down uh, and then the Dolphins and someone else jump up and take the other two guys. You know, even Jordan Love, if you had to take him, if you were in love with him. <laughs> and um, ah. I, didn't, I didn't realize that. Um, you know, because if you reach for a quarterback, but then he works, it doesn't matter, right? Because you got your guy. So no one's ever going to remember, oh, well, you know, he was good. Like, he's your guy. No one cares. No one remembers. All they care about is he's good. So other than that, you know, this roster, I, I agree with the running back linebacker. But again, you, know, you look at it top to bottom. It's a really solid roster. and It's better than a top six team should have. So, you know, they're going to have some opportunities to just see who comes down and then just hit the best talent they have. But uh, overall, uh, after they get quarterback figured out, it's kind of up to them. All right, Jay, we're moving over to the Raiders. They have eight picks, including 12 and 19. Who you got for them? Yeah, this might surprise you, but, uh, you know, a lot. I, I think a lot's been made ever since John Gruden got to the Raiders about the John Gruden-Derek Carr relationship. And uh, 
I can I can really see uh, John Gruden taking a chance and uh, going out and taking Jordan Love. Uh, I'm assuming uh, Burrow, Tua, and Herbert go off the board um, to the Bengals, Dolphins, and Chargers, respectively. Um, I just think ever since Derek Carr had that one season uh, and he broke his like he broke something, his hand. I don't know. I don't remember what it was. Maybe his knee. The, last, the last year on the Jack Dorio. Right. Yeah. And then we, remember <laughs> we had the the Brock Osweiler. Uh, Connor Cook playoff game. It was a absolute shootout. No, it wasn't. But ever since that season, it's just never really been the same. We haven't seen Derek Carr continue his career in that fashion. I don't think it's not that he's a bad quarterback and he can't play. It's just you think about, again, the AFC West, you're going to be dealing with Patrick Mahomes for the next, I don't know, 10 to 15 years. You got to have you got to have a little extra in there. And it doesn't appear that Derek Carr has that. So I'm thinking about Jordan Love or maybe in the later rounds, you take the big, strong, strong arm guy like Jacob Eason. Uh, And then defensively, I still think there's a lot of work to do. Uh, They made some strides last year, getting Cleveland Farrell and uh, uh, the safety Simmons out of Mississippi State. I think linebacker. I think that's another I think that's a spot they need to invest in. Uh, Kenneth Murray, Patrick Queen. I don't know if you noticed, but every time we mention one, we mention the other. Uh, yeah. That, that, yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. After Isaiah Simmons, it's going to be two, these two guys. Uh, they're the best two uh, inside linebackers in the draft. And uh, I think cornerback, um, remember Mike Mayock? I don't know if you recall, but uh, he, he likes Alabama and Clemson players. So uh, A.J. Terrell makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so to that, that point, right, he likes Alabama and Clemson players. I think it's the flavor of the month with Mike Mayock. I honestly think he's going to fall in love with two Oklahoma guys this year. Um, I'm looking. My my three was wide receiver was first. I think C.D. Lamb. I, I would not be surprised if Oakland going to reach out there and get them old, get C.D. Lamb out of Oklahoma. And my second guy was, once again, that duo that you said, Kenneth Murray, uh, Patrick Queen. But I think they should have a shot at Kenneth Murray because they got the two first-round picks. Right, so right. I think they can go – Oklahoma, Oklahoma, uh, to solve those two needs. And then the third one would be outside uh, tackle. Sorry, offensive tackle. And I'm looking at um, Hakeem Adinja coming out of uh, Kansas. So the way I look at it is wide receiver, inside linebacker, and uh, offensive tackle. Oklahoma drill. I like it. Uh, yeah, one of the points about the quarterbacks, so we go to the other positions. Uh, in 2020, uh, Mariota and Carr are both out of their contracts. You know, they don't, they're not signed past 2020. So, you know, if you are looking to start fresh for the Raiders, it's, it, you're going to have the opportunity here. So, yeah, quarterback does is glaring, but I, it's really hard to tell if they would roll the dice in the first round and maybe they would pick up one of these later round guys, like your Jalen Hurts types or something. Who knows? Um, but, yeah, I had wide receiver and corners, my two needs as well, and I think they're going to kind of play this by ear. I believe uh, Florida C.J. Henderson, this is as far as he's going to fall. And if he's still there at 12, that they're, that's who they're going to pick up. This is a guy that's stock that's rising every single week, it feels like. So if he goes there at 12, then why not T. Higgins at 19? You know, We know they like the Clemson guys. And then if we assume Henderson is gone by then, we can flip the script. And I kind of like Henry Ruggs going to them, another you know guy that's got that just I, – I, like, I think that Mayock and Gruden will look at his upside his ceiling and they would just be like man this is a guy where they'd be really hard pressed to pass on him and then um they would come back at 19 and get aj terrell so those are two guys i think you could see some wild cards could be antoine whitfield or southern illinois jeremy chin um some more defensive backs that do have their stock rising as well before the draft uh, gets going all right drink the broncos are up next picking number 15 with nine picks total you got for them 
All right, all right. So um, first, looking at defensive tackle, I don't think they're going to pass up uh, Javon, uh, Javon Kinlaw. I think you could probably sign, see him deliver that, go ahead and sign if he's on the board. I don't see why he could be off the board. If he's on the board, I don't think the Broncos pass. I'll just say that. And then my next, once again, offensive tackle. As you see, I, I am in love with those uh, big uglies to protect the quarterback because in this day and age with the CBA, not allowing them to practice as much. If the, the faster you can get a guy that can learn on, on the move, the better you end up being throughout the season. So I went with um, Israel Cleveland out of Boise State with that pick for the offensive uh, line. And then my third was safety. Uh, safety, I, I'm just not overly, um, you know, impressed with what I see out there. I do know they have players to fill that need. But, hey, why not go out and get you one from scratch, build them up, and see how that future goes. And I'm looking at Ashton Davis coming out of uh, the University of California to uh, fill that need. So my three needs was uh, defensive tackle, offensive tackle, and safety. Yeah, a little bit of variance here for me uh, with this 15th fifteenth uh, overall pick that they got. I, I see this going uh, one of two ways. I think if somehow C.D. Lamb or Jerry Judy slide on down to them, I think they definitely they need another uh, receiver opposite Cortland Sutton. They're a little thin. Uh, outside of that, Tim Patrick and Deshaun Hamilton, they're okay, but uh, I think they're probably uh, number threes at best. Uh, and then, but if both of those two guys are off the board, I can definitely see them uh, perhaps going the offensive tackle route. Uh, if if Lamb and Judy are gone, you'd like to think that one of those four offensive tackles that we've referenced uh, many times, whether it's Andrew Thomas, Beckton, uh, Werfs, or uh, Wills, so those are the four that we're thinking about. Um, that, that's definitely an option because uh, Garrett Bowles, yeah, he, uh, he, he, you know, he's been struggling these uh, first three seasons. Uh, but I, I will say this. They got Mike Munchak out there, the offensive line coach, uh, perhaps perhaps the best offensive line coach in football. And as the year went along, I heard his name less and less. So I can only assume that he got better as the season uh, went along. But uh, offensive line. I still think they need a little help. And I would go in the later rounds. I would think about a guy like Nick Harris uh, out of Washington who could fill uh, fill a need at center uh, at day one. Because I think the I think the tackles could be okay. And I, I do like their guards. I like that they just signed Graham Glasgow and they got Dalton Rosner from last year. And then uh, at corner, I think there's a need there. No Chris Harris. You did get AJ Boye in there. Hopefully Bryce Callahan plays football this year instead of being out with a foot injury all year. And uh, But uh, speaking of Bryce, I would be just tickled to death if they took Bryce Hall out of Virginia. I, I would absolutely love that. Uh, John Elway, holler at me. Yeah, when I, when I looked at the Broncos, you know, offensive tackle did kind of strike me. Um, but, but I think Jay makes a good point. I think some teams do tend to like their lines better than maybe the media and the fans kind of look at them. I think that that's a position that's the hardest to evaluate because there's always, you know, it's a position that just doesn't have a lot of stats. You, you kind of have to go off what your coaches think and what your scouts think. So it's going to depend If they do think that bowls is worth salvaging. Then they are going to roll with him and probably go for a wide receiver. Again, I think that um, if 15, you're going to still have a good option. Uh, options of guys, you know, Justin Jefferson from LSU, a guy, a guy that maybe put in the slot across from uh, Cortland Sutton as your bigger outside threat. Maybe that's a good idea. Or if you want to give him another, a, a solid number two in CD Lamb, you might have to trade up a few spots, but you do have some of those mid-round picks you could package to jump up a couple picks to grab him. That'd be a guy that you could just give to Drew Locke to just, hey, you throw the, throw the ball anywhere. The dude's, he's going to catch it no matter what, right? 
so you know, and you can address some other concerns, maybe like your defense rounds two through four. But if they don't like what they see with Bowles, maybe they want to make a change, then you're going to also be within striking distance of someone like Andrew Thomas or Makai Becton, just depending on uh, who goes where. And those those guys are going to be hard to say when they're going to come off. It's going to kind of fall to where the quarterbacks come, and then with some of those other premier guys on defense come to see where the offensive tackles start to fall after that. All right, guys, we'll wrap up with the Chiefs. They have five picks, including the 32nd pick. Jay, how do the, uh, the Super Bowl champs stay on top? Yeah, uh, yeah, you ain't got but five, so you better make them count. Although, I mean, just oh, one Super Bowl, right. so I'm not sure how much they care. And they're, they're pretty and- well stocked at uh, several positions. Uh, but, yeah, I'm looking at my first need. I'm going at the running back position. I know uh, I like Damian Williams a whole lot. I just feel like you had LaShawn McCoy. I don't expect him to be back. And then there's really not a whole lot. They got some other guys. They got Daryl Thompson and uh, or, or Daryl Williams and Darwin Darryl Thompson. Williams. They got some. They got yeah. some. Yeah, they got some dudes out there. But I just feel like they need a little bit more. I think Antonio Gibson out of Memphis is a guy you could get in the later rounds and a big, strong, physical back who I think he'd complement uh, Damian Williams very well. Give them a little bit more uh, physical presence uh, because I mean, as great as they are, they they got a little finesse to them. Uh, so that's one of the things I'm thinking about. And then on defense, I think that, look, they made strides last year on defense. They improved as the season got along. They weren't a complete train wreck like they were under Bob Sutton. But I still they, they got room to improve out there. I think linebacker and corner, those are two spots. I think in the first round, I think about getting a corner in there, maybe Jeff Gladney out of TCU and then uh, at linebacker. Uh, I like Malik Harrison out of Ohio State. Uh, listen. One thing we got to caveat when we talk about these, these, uh, the Kansas City, the defending Super Bowl champs is they're bringing back over 90% of their starters, first yeah. of all. So, is I mean, they got five picks, which is, looks very, very funny on paper when you're doing research and you're like, wait, is it? Is all they got? So, and they, so they managed to get eight picks per round. So, we, you know, but they bring them at 90%. So they're in a good position. They pretty much just need to show, show it up a couple positions. And the way I look at it is my first two needs are both cornerbacks. I'm telling you right now, it's both cornerbacks. They need some safety. Hey, that secondary needs some help. Somebody help. Somebody call 911. They need some help. <laughs> yes, I understand they won a Super Bowl. I understand it was good enough to get a Super Bowl win. But you come, I know, you come into the season, right? Now you have that target on your back. You can't be coming out here flopping around, can't stop the pass consistently. So I'm looking at Christian Fulton in the first round from LSU. You grab him, and listen, Christian Fulton, he possibly get, to get to, can get the old two for one, you know, the old Applebee's, you know, national champion at LSU could join the Chiefs, possibly in um world champion with the Chiefs. So that's one thing to look at. Don't really matter in this subject. I just want to say that. And then I'm looking with that second cornerback. I'm looking at Jalen Johnson out of Utah. Right? You snatch up them two young studs, get them, get them lined up. You know, they in practice getting the war out by that, that wide receiver core. And they understand his levels to this. And you go ahead and get them, get them ready for the season. And then with the third pick, I agree with Jay. You got to get your running back. You need some help back there. Listen, you had LaShawn McCoy out there holding up the running back clipboard. I don't even know why you went and got LaShawn McCoy just so he can sandbag it for a ring. I don't understand it. Those guys, we haven't took the Chiefs running game serious since Kareem Hunt kicked that poor little girl down the hall. Listen, so <laughs> it's 
we, we just haven't took them serious. So they need to go and figure out something with this run game. It was okay. It got the job done because you had a generational talent at quarterback. But you got to get him some help now. Go, you go strengthen that running game, like Jay said. Get you a better one-two punch. So, yeah, I went cornerback, cornerback, running back for the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, 2020 Super Bowl Chiefs uh, heard it here first. Um, you, you know, a lot of mocks are sending DeAndre Swift to Kansas City, and I can't argue anything else. Like when I look at this, I, I look at when it comes down, it's definitely not going to be their biggest need. I would agree, Drake Corner is their bigger need, but I, I think that when you look at what DeAndre Swift would be on like a big board versus where he would actually wind up falling to, I, I think he's going to go in the first round. And I think when the Chiefs get there at 32, he's going to be sitting there, and they're going to be like, well, I mean, we we can't pass the guy, so. Um, you're going to add yet another weapon to that offense because the way I see it, you might as well do what you do good, right? Just do it better. So that's the only legitimate problem in the whole offense is running back. So you put a guy like DeAndre Swift who can not only run, but he can also catch. He's got good hands. So, you know, uh, you're going to add that to it. And if they don't go Swift, maybe he's off the board. Maybe they say, yeah, we don't want a running back in the first round. You know, Trayvon Diggs or Christian Fulton, I think are the two guys you could look at in the first round. You know, I think this, the safety group is okay. Um, you know, so you could definitely improve your worst position. But I, again, I kind of think Swift's your guy here. And a, a thing to think about for them, if they do pass on Swift in the first round or pass on running back in general in the first round, by the time they pick again at the end of the second, a lot of running backs are likely to go off. Your Cam Akers, your Jonathan Taylors, your Zach Mosses, they're all likely to be gone. So if you're planning on that, you better be looking at your third or fourth round running backs to pick at the end of the second because all the I think the best talent will be gone by then. So something they need to consider. All right, guys, let's go ahead and kick on over to the NFC West. Cardinals look to build around last year's first overall pick, Kyler Murray, while the Rams navigate this draft without a first-rounder, courtesy of Jalen Ramsey. Seahawks pick 27th, and the 49ers pick both 13th and 31st, thanks to the Colts trade for DeForest Buckner. Jay, the Cards hope to take a step forward with Kingsbury and Murray. How are they going to do that next week? Uh, we just talked about it. The uh, Rams, they about to take a step back, so they'll benefit from that. Uh, but yeah, on a serious note, the, the Cardinals, uh, I think they could stand to get a little bit stronger at the, uh, in the interior of their offensive line. Uh, that's not to say their tackles are great, but I think the need is more on the interior. I think DJ Humphreys and Marcus Gilbert, they're, they're serviceable. Uh, I'm thinking about Matt Hennessy out of Temple. I think he's a guy you could plug in at center and anchor that offensive line for you. Uh, I, I think the defensive tackle, uh, what on the defensive line, I think they need to get stronger there as well. Uh, I think if the, if the Panthers uh, somehow trade out uh, of that number seven spot and that opens up Derek Brown, I think that's a no-brainer. I think you get Derek Brown in there and uh, you let him take care of you uh, in the, on the interior of your defensive line. Or maybe if you can't get Derek Brown, maybe you think about Ross Blacklock, uh, Blacklock out of TCU. And then uh, I think that secondary outside of Patrick Peterson, it's a little uh, it's a little concerning. Uh, I think safety is probably the bigger need. Uh, I would I would consider uh, Kayvon Wallace or uh, Terrell Burgess, Clemson and Utah, respectively. Got you muted, drink. Yeah, I can't hear you. Can you hear me now? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I don't know. My computer did something weird. So. With that said, hey, I'm thinking Cliff Kingsbury going to live on the offense side of the ball. I think his first two uh, picks going to be probably offensive linemen. His prized possession is uh, Kyler Murray. 
He's going to protect Kyler Murray. He wants Kyler Murray to be able to get that ball out to that newly acquired wide receiver, DeAndre Hawkins. So I'm looking at maybe Jadry Wills getting uh, drafted with that first pick. Uh, you know, we talk about the four tackles, so any other four, good pick, don't matter. And then I'm looking at um, with that sec- with that third round pick, I should say, I'm looking at Calvin Throckmore coming out of Oregon. We we underlooked how good that offensive line was for uh, Justin Herbert down now. It was like four seniors and a junior, I think. Um, so that you know that was a very uh, veteran-laden offensive line. And then with that third pick, I'm looking at a, another wide receiver to, to uh, throw the ball to on. A, I, Listen, I'm not trying to be disrespectful to Fitzgerald. Got it. He's there. He's one foot in, one foot out. You got DeAndre Hopkins. He needs you another young guy, young guy on the other side of DeAndre Hopkins because you're going to be playing Larry Fitzgerald in the slot most likely. So I'm looking at a guy, Gabriel Davis, coming out of uh, UCL um, to complement DeAndre Hopkins and Fitzgerald. So I'm looking at offensive tackle for the first two picks and then wide receiver for the third one. Yeah, uh, offensive tackle, again, struck me as a uh, – this is another spot that one would come off the board here. Either Willis or Wirfs makes the most sense. Um, Kyler Murray was sacked a boatload of times last year, and some of that is obviously that rookie decision-making. But the line had to had a, a big part in that, and some of the names they have were just underwhelming, you know. So I think that getting one of these premium talents at the eighth pick would make a lot of sense. But again, like, like Jay kind of alluded to, the wild card is if Derek Brown or Isaiah Simmons fall. A lot of drafts do have Brown here. But, you know, Simmons is the one that really interests me because the Cardinals defense allowed the most yards in the league last year. Uh, linebacker and edge kind of both stand out his needs. And Simmons, he can do both. I mean, he can he can not only anchor that linebacking core, but he can also drop back. He can rush. I mean, he can do everything. And there's some rumblings about the Giants. He'd be going for a tackle to protect Daniel Jones. And if quarterbacks go five, six and Brown goes seven. Hey, as I say, Simmons at eight. And that, that scenario is not some complete off the wall, never going to happen thing. Right. So as much as I would want to beef up my line, if I have this defense that's very porous and needs to be addressed in a lot of some positions, especially at linebacker, and this guy falls to me at eight, I would be remiss if I didn't go ahead and just pick him and then worry about offensive line in a deep draft class later on down the line. Because you can get an offensive lineman. You ain't getting no Isaiah Simmons in this draft. I promise you that. So it's probably the last time I'm going to gush over him for now. But, um, yeah, this is uh, a guy that – I mean, you just think about that defense and the fact that he could be just instant defense, just add water in this dude, you know. So that would be a hard precedent to think about uh, going forward. All right, Jenks, move on to the Rams. They don't have any first-round picks. They got two second-round picks and kind of a mess. What do you got for them? Kind of a mess. Oh, my God. Man, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they try to argue with paying these rookies the full rookie rate. Hey, 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 hold on. We, we, we got to pay you that. Like, oh, my God, finances are terrible there. That's what you get when you get stuff on credit. You know, you got to actually pay for it. You know, lay away, it only goes so far. It looks good in the front, get you on the back. That's what the Rams dealing with. Um, the, with the with the first position for the Rams, I'm looking at offensive guard. I see um, – I'm thinking Solomon Kinley coming out of Georgia to fill in that inside hole. I don't know. that. I just don't know. I, I thought they took care of the offensive line a little bit in the draft last year, but it just didn't look right. Uh, Jared Goff, and it's, it's sad to say because as poor as he played, it wasn't all on him. The offensive line was atrocious, so I hope they can get that fixed with Solomon uh, Kinley. And then I'm looking at cornerback. Somebody uh, to play on the other side of Jalen Ramsey if you pay him. If you don't pay him, I don't know. Um, I'm looking at Damian Arnett coming out of Ohio State for the, on the other side of him. 
And then also I'm looking at come back to the offensive line. I'm looking at offensive tackle, uh, Trey Adams coming out of Washington. So the way I look at it is they're gonna try to get some protection for golf, get get another guy on the other side of Jalen Ramsey. So, you know, they could try to build a train the brain trust again and not take the Cardinals place in within the division. Yeah, uh the Rams yeah, this thing could uh, – they got a lot of needs uh, for a team that just uh, was in the Super Bowl two years ago. This thing could come crashing down pretty quickly, uh, especially when you take into consideration some of the investments they made. I, I still think uh, they're going to pay Todd Gurley a fair amount of money this season. Yeah, uh, and, and, with that, and with that in mind, I got running back as one of their big needs. Uh, Jared Goff, uh, listen, he's, he's a nice player. He can, make, he, can, uh, he can make a lot of throws for you. But uh, – Think about the last when the Rams were at their height with Sean McVay doing stuff for you. Uh, it was all set up courtesy of the running game with Todd Gurley. And with that in mind, uh, they don't have a first round pick, so they gotta they gotta hope and pray to one of these uh, one of these big time running back prospects maybe drops a little bit. Uh, so I'm thinking about DeAndre Swift. I'm thinking about J.K. Dobbins. Uh, th- those would be guys I would be thinking about. Hopefully they fall for you. Uh, but yeah, cornerback, I agree with you on that. Uh, I got Trayvon Diggs down, but Arnett, anybody in that second round, I think there'll be some good value picks that you can get there. And it's a big need because, yeah, I understand you got Jalen Ramsey in there, but you get you traded Marcus Peters, a keep to leave. I don't know what happened to him, but he ain't playing for you. And uh, Nikhil Roby Coleman, he left the building too. So a lot of turnover in that defensive backfield and you got to, Look, it's the modern day NFL. You got to you need three good corners out there to go ahead and uh, cover these spread type offenses. And I think inside linebacker, that's another position that they're that they're a little thin at. No Corey Littleton, no more. He went off to Oakland. So uh, Logan Wilson, guy people may not be thinking about played at Wyoming, but they're going to need some help at inside linebacker as well. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the mess they have is going to take more than two second-round picks to solve. Um, and from a needs perspective, it's funny, like you mentioned, like Jay just mentioned, drink you too, you know, running back, cornerback, linebacker, all they kind of sort of stand out when you just look at the roster and look at, okay, what would they need this year? But with the calorie, the salary cap mess they're already in, if you're heading towards the darker days when Jalen Ramsey gets extended, um, they're going to have to start cutting money sooner than later. And so you have to start thinking about positions like tight end, left tackle, wide receiver. They look interesting because down the road, Maybe I can't afford a Robert Woods. Maybe I can't afford a Tyler Higby because I'm paying an Island Nation's GDP to golf Donald and Ramsey. So, like, if I'm thinking about this from the draft perspective, those are some of the positions I may think of this year. So in a year or two, I can start making some cuts. You know, another another one you could think of uh, tapping this deep offensive line class for Whitwood's departure is possible. You know, running back is still going to be smart. Regardless, if you can find a good one in the second round, which there'll be guys that'll be worth taking there, like Jay said, and there's some other guys, maybe Cam Akers falls, who knows? There'll be there'll be some premium guys in there in the second round. Uh, maybe Zach Bond fits well from uh, Wisconsin, kind of an inside-outside linebacker guy, can play a little bit of both positions in that defense. But yeah, they, they've got to start thinking long-term because this is about to be a pretty significant issue for them. All right, guys, we have the Seahawks up next. Jay, they have seven picks, including number 27. Russell Wilson getting some help. You know what? I, I certainly hope so. I, I, I hate to beat this dead horse, but uh, this offensive line, um, th- they've neglected to protect this man for years. Um, I, I, I like that they brought in Dwayne Brown uh, a few years ago. Um, what do you run. know? 
what do you know? Uh, what do you know? Another good player, uh, Bill O'Brien, let go. May- well, maybe that wasn't his call. Maybe that's unfair. But anyway, hey, uh, Dwayne Brown, he's about 34 years of age now. And uh, that right tackle spot, it ain't looking too good. So uh, Drake's been doubling it up. Uh, lately on positions, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I like to see him take two offensive tackles. Uh, I'm looking at three guys. Maybe you get a two for three special uh, with um, Josh, uh, Josh Jones, uh, Lucas Niang, Austin Jackson, two or three of them, and I'd be satisfied. And uh, I, I think edge rusher, uh, that's a position they need to get um, solidified. Jadavion Clowney is still unsigned, probably still uh, wants way too much money for uh, three sacks per season. So maybe you look at uh, A.J. Epinesa or Yatir Gross uh, Matos out of Penn State. And then I think I, I like their uh, I like their starting safeties with Quandre Diggs and Bradley McDougald. But it uh, never hurts to have a third safety that you can plug in in your sub packages. And uh, I'm thinking about Brandon Jones out of Texas. I think he could be a guy that you could uh, utilize well in those situations. Oh, yeah. So <clears throat> it's funny you say, hey, it's about time to give Russell Wilson some help. It's just like when they said, it's about time to run the ball on the one-yard line. And I say that to say this. Here's the deal. Hey, Pete Carroll, he wants to create that Legion of Boom one more time before he, he call it quits. So I see all three of the first picks going on the defense rather than the offense. I don't think he relatively give a rip about the offense, me personally. I mean, just look at the moves he made. If he give a rip, he sure don't look like it. I mean, he brought back Marshawn Lynch, for God's sakes. I mean, how much do you really care? So, look, I'm looking at uh, you just you just brought up the safeties. I think one of those guys is going to be up out of here. I, don't, I, I can't tell you which one I think is going to be out of here. I think they take a strong look at Xavier McKinnon in the first round. Uh, get him back there replacing one of those guys, whichever one that they feel not cutting the cheese or they won't be able to make a deal with in the future, replace one of them. You slap in a Xavier McKinnon. Defense in, you brought up Jadavis Clowney. Hey, you want to keep holding out? Hey, don't worry about it, Bucko. We're going to mess around here and maybe take Marlon Davidson in the first round and, and or the second round and, you know, we, we'll holler at you, player, because we ain't got time for this bull crap. I mean, you did come over and help us in that one prime time game, but outside of that, what else did you give us? So they, I'm look, I'm thinking they go and draft Marlon Davidson out of Auburn. And then, hey, cornerback is a need. There's all it is to it. We looked at those cornerbacks that they got there now. Decent, not great. And, hey, go out there and get you a Trayvon Diggs, the bottom of the second, maybe even the third, depending on how you look at it. He slides. So I'm looking at a, a safety, a defensive end, and a cornerback for the Seattle in his draft. Yeah, the, the trenches also jumped out to me as kind of their biggest needs. Again, we, we don't really compare notes too much in this, but we all kind of often find the same players in need. Um, Russell Wilson does kind of float your premier needs at skill positions. And the secondary is okay, but drinks, right? A corner could definitely be someone you got to look at later on. But up front, I think they're first going to probably watch to see which edge prospects fall down to them. This is going to be one of those things at 27. Again, you kind of watch to see who comes down. And if Gross Matos, Epinesa, or Chassion, any of them, or Chasen, any of them fall they would fit well in kind of the system. But again, it's largely dependent on who goes where. Um, Gross Matos might be the most um, available of those. But then if, if not, the interior offensive line makes a lot of sense. Again, like like Jay mentioned, Josh Jones, Austin Jackson, maybe maybe Cesar Ruiz is still there. You know, any of those guys you could plug in and that offensive line because Russell Wilson does need some help for kind of, oh, this man is just, it's, it's criminal what they do to him and make him put up with. Um, later <laughs> on, you, you can come back to whatever position you missed. Um, you know, defensive line isn't as deep as offensive line, but you can still come back to it later on. And then maybe uh, you look at what's left of the highly rated wide receivers. You made the second round. You can find a guy like that. Um, 
you know, some of the leftovers of this good class to fill a need there. All right, guys, 49ers are up last drink. They got 13 and 31. So what of our Super Bowl runner-ups going after? Well, so I've been hearing a lot of chatter about me personally. I think they should take another wide receiver, um, you know, get another guy out there to uh, help Jim Garoppolo out. I think who it would help out more is George Kittle, to be honest. But get another get another guy that you can use in the same manner that you kind of use Deb, uh, Debo Samuels in. So with that said, I think Henry Ruggs would be that guy that you can use in that manner where you can throw short a lot of short passes. If You know, if you don't feel that Jimmy Garoppolo can get it done down the field, you could throw a short pass to this guy. And his speed just going to take it. He's going to give you five right off the ripskit. So I'm thinking wide receiver, Henry Ruggs. Then I'm looking at cornerback Cameron Dantzler out of Mississippi State. Uh, he jumps out to me at this present time that they'll be picking because you would think the, the premium on cornerback would have been pressed by now. So those guys will be off the board. And then I'm looking at uh, safety as the third position. Uh, Aloha Gilman coming out of Notre Dame. And I just want to say this before I move on. Notre Dame sure do got a lot of good guys coming out in early rounds for this performance that Bill, Bill uh, Brian Kelly is putting up. Every time he play a big game, he gets smoked. And then he, I, I just want to throw that out there. Notre Dame is getting a real good pass over here, maybe even at a greater level than Iowa. But to stay on subject, yeah, my three guys was wide receiver, cornerback, and safety for the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah, we haven't talked about uh... A whole lot in depth about teams that will be uh, looking to make trades, but the 49ers have two first round picks and then they don't have a second, third or fourth. And they got they acquired that second first round pick in the DeForest Buckner trade. That seems like a pick. It seems like pretty obvious that that would be a trade back and try to acquire some more picks. But I guess you never know. I mean, if they got a guy at 13, if they can get a, a guy they can think could be a superstar wide receiver, maybe you go ahead and take it and uh, just live with what you got. Uh, but I got them trading back, and I think uh, I look at offensive tackle. Uh, Joe Staley is still playing at a pretty high level, but uh, Clowney did give him the business last year. That was the one game we saw Clowney do some some real stuff for him. Uh, so I look at Joe Staley, and I think that it's time to maybe draft a potential replacement, grooming behind him, probably a developmental guy, because I think Staley can still give you one or two more fairly good years. I'm thinking about uh, Ben Barch out of St. John's. Uh, he's a developmental guy that – uh, it's going to take some time for him to get it uh, get it cooking, but I think uh, I think learning behind Staley for a year or two, I think that's something you could take a look at. And then um, the linebacker position, um, Quan Alexander, Fred Warner, they got some good guys, but I think they're in need of one more linebacker. And when I think about Alexander and Warner, uh, that's not to say they can't play against the run, but uh, especially Warner, I think he excels more in pass coverage. And I just think they need a little bit more uh, physicality and a guy that can really uh, stand up against the run. I'm thinking about Evan Weaver out of California. I think he'd fit in well there. And then uh, we've mentioned this guy from time to time and uh, that cornerback position. Uh, it's not as tight as you need as uh, Sammy Watkins uh, demonstrated in that Super Bowl running by good old Richard Sherman. So uh, Richard Sherman, he's still a valuable player in this league. He can still play. But um uh, who who was it? Who was the cornerback? Somebody was getting roasted at one point. It was it Emmanuel Mosley? Uh, oh, I think 
Was it Mosley? I think it was Mosley. Um, yeah, it was somebody getting beat pretty damn bad on that. I know. I, I talk, Yeah, I talked about Sherman getting roasted, but there was one guy that was just getting roasted exclusively. So they they need some cornerback help. Uh, I'm thinking yeah. about Damon Arnett at Ohio State. They got they got to make that position a little better. Yeah, I kind of saw wide receiver would be their first choice, but Jay brings up a very good point about them only having the two first round picks and then a large t- a chunk of time. And most teams would go, eh, we maybe want to get some more in the middle there. You know, the, the trade up scenarios, again, you have to also have a team that wants to trade up. I would think that actually the Broncos might want to come up to 13 just to get the receiver they actually want. So that that'd be one to watch on trade day or on draft day. But if not, you know, you have your pick of your Judy's, your Lambs, your Rugs. I think, you know, any of those guys would be good picks uh, in the top of the round there. And then um, if they don't go there, then I think at corner, if they were to trade out anyway, I think corner at 31 is where they're going to want to go. Uh, again, Sherman has been really solid, surprisingly enough, but he, he's getting up there in age. And like you all said, the other side was just like a, a clown show for a while. Um, I, I like Mel Kuyper's pick of sending Auburn's Noah Abengagne. I think that's how you say that. Sorry. Um, their way. He's possibly there at 31. He has tremendous athletic abilities, a four-year starter, and would not only be to contribute at cornerback, but he's also got some help on special teams as well. So you get a chance to let Sherman kind of spin him up a little bit. You get a big win there. And then if you don't get a wide receiver early or, you know, you come back in the second and third rounds, maybe uh, Michael Pittman Jr. from USC is there. A big guy with some speed limitations, but he was a big target for Garoppolo to uh, throw the ball to. All right, guys, to finish off some rapid reaction, a lot of topics, a little bit of time. Let's go, drink. Let's roll, baby. Broncos star pass rushers Von Miller has tested positive for the coronavirus. Your reaction? Uh, obviously, uh, great sadness here um, <clears throat> from the Mile High City, even though I'm not there. I'm there in spirit. Um, but, hey, hopefully he recovers. Uh, we're going to need him. We're going to need that, that great pass rush that he provides. Uh, Texans coach uh, and also general manager Bill O'Brien says he feels – Really good about where Brandon Cooks is at relative to his health. What do you make of that comment? Yo, every GM slash coach feels good about Brandon Cooks until you take his first hit. And now you end up trading him again because he can't play half of the season because he got a concussion from from turf toe or something. So, yeah, that sounds good. No, but, yeah, wait till you take his first hit in practice. North Carolina point guard Cole Anthony declares for the NBA draft today. Your thoughts on his future NBA career? I'm, I'm not as – I don't think I'm as high on this guy as a lot of draft experts are. I mean, he, he could score the basketball pretty well. But, I mean, outside of that, I just didn't see a whole lot that, you know, really impressed me. And, and North Carolina, I understand he had an injury this year. But, I mean, even when he came back, North Carolina, they they were a train wreck. So, I don't know. I guess we'll see. Jet safety Jamal Adams is not expected to participate in the team's virtual offseason program. Is that a big deal? Um, from my understanding that this virtual offseason program is more voluntary. If it's voluntary, no, it's not. If if it's mandatory, it is. But at the same time, hey, you knew this was coming. You're in a day and age where when you got stars and they, they want to get paid or they want something to move faster, this is their, their course of action. It just don't show up to offseason program. So it could be a big deal. We have to play it out and see. But I mean, I don't understand why you don't want to go ahead and, you know, try to keep this guy around. He has been, you know, pretty stalwart of the defense. Minnesota Twins ace Jose Barrios is reportedly using his highs to improve his curveball and his changeup. Do you consider this time well spent? 
Yeah, I can't be mad at this here. I actually think his curveball is pretty good. I think his changeup could use some improvement. Uh, but yeah, he's still a young guy. Made his first All-Star team last year. I still think the best is yet to come. So uh, good on him for improving his craft. Jalen Green, the number one prospect in the 2020 ESPN 100, is heading to the G League rather than play college basketball. Is this an anomaly, or do you see this starting a trend? Go get your money, young fella. Listen, I think this is an anomaly as of now. It could be a trend. It should be a trend, to be honest with you, because I'm I'm just so sick of, like, why the player don't deserve to make money off of his name? I just, I don't understand that, that, that whole idea of the amateurism oh my god they get this they get that whatever man you get millions of dollars they don't get that and it's their name that that you're getting that millions of dollars off of so hey man go to the g league get some money now i would say this don't be upset when nobody know who you is you know you taking the money over the you know over the the chance of being endorsed and all this other stuff when you get out of college being notarized so, you know, take the good with the bad. You will be probably a no-name guy, but you'll have 500 grand in your pocket. I mean, 500,000 grand in, in your pocket. Lions GM Bob Quinn said he's having a conversation about potentially trading out of the number three spot in the upcoming NFL draft. Good idea or bad idea? Uh, I don't think it's a bad idea, about it, bad idea to listen to offers. Um, mm. I guess if I'm if I'm reading this correctly, maybe they're not 100% sold on Jeff Okuda, so they're looking to trade down out of that. And uh, but you got to remember, uh, Miami and the Chargers, there could be a little uh, trade bidding or a little bid war, uh, as those guys, you know, they both both teams want quarterbacks. Maybe they're worried about the other team trading up to get Tua. So, yeah, if you, I think I think Bob Quinn's right. I think if uh, you can get a good package, I think you definitely consider moving out because they have more needs than just cornerback. Southern Cal quarterback JT Daniels has entered the transfer portal. Is that the right move? And if so, where could you see him landing? Well, yes, I think it's the right move. I, I, I think um, Clay Helton has made it clear that he want to go with the young guy Slogish down there. And uh, you, you got to understand, um, JT Daniels was a – he originally was a 2018, well, 2019 recruit. He reclassified to the 2018 class, which made him a five-star quarterback. He's from California. So I'm going to assume that he would either go to stay in the Pac-12 or go to the Big 12, something like that, because he had made it very, no, very known when he came out of high school that he wasn't fond of the East Coast. So he talked a lot of West Coast, you know, trash talk. So I, I see him staying in the Pac-12 and moving on to the Big 12. Jaguars running back Leonard Fournette believes his team should sign Cam Newton. Yeah, all right. Do you agree? I think it's interesting. I just I don't see it happening. I think the Jaguars, they play it safe, and they give Gardner Minshew an opportunity to run the team for a full season. Last one, Jazz point guard Mike Conley won the NBA horse competition, defeating the Bulls' Zach Levine in the championship round. that impress you? I was entertained by it. I wasn't necessarily saying press. It was, it was horse, you know. I'm glad. I do appreciate the NBA players doing something to give, you know, fans something to watch, to entertain us. So I thank them for that. But impressed? No, I wasn't really impressed. All right. Well, that concludes today's Drink of Wisdom. I'm Cody Warden. I'm Jay Wise. And I'm Nathan Drinker. And remember, make tomorrow better than today and make today better than yesterday. And you know what we're going to do. We're going to holler at you until next time, baby.